years between the words of Malachi, the life of Malachi, and the birth of Jesus. 400 years of seemingly silence from God where God doesn't speak a a clear word to the people of Israel. Israel has been through a a difficult time in this intertestament period. They have lived under Persian rule and under Greek rule and now they live under Roman rule in the first century. The Israelites are a conquered, subjugated people who are required to pay tribute to the nations that govern them. And by the first century, God had been seemingly silent for so, so long that people didn't wonder, didn't even believe that God would send Elijah. They wondered if he was ever going to come. They wondered if God was ever going to send his Messiah, if he was ever going to deliver them. When would the day of the Lord come? And of course, Malachi tells us very clearly that before the day of the Lord comes, though, Elijah must come. Why does Elijah need to come before the day of the Lord, before the coming of the Messiah? What role does Elijah play in the life of Israel and in our lives today? To find out what role Elijah played in the life of the Israelites and in our lives today, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 1087 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. We pray, O Lord, that by your spirit, you would guide us this morning that as we read your word, as we hear your word, that you might open our hearts that we might be transformed by your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke chapter one, beginning at verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I want to pause there just for a moment. Luke does not identify himself as the author of the Gospel of Luke, but all of our earliest church fathers identify Luke as not only the author of Luke, but also the book of Acts as well. If you'll remember during our whirlwind tour of the book of Acts as a part of the story that we just finished a a few weeks ago, when we were going through Acts as a part of the story, Luke was one of the missionary companions with Paul on his second missionary journey. And we know from the book of Colossians that Luke was a physician, he was a doctor, and, and originally he was a Gentile, but somewhere in his life he began to follow Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, and then eventually he began to follow Jesus. He became a, a Christian later in his life. Luke was not an eyewitness to the life and the teachings of Jesus, but but he knew many people who were, and and so he he began to investigate so that Theophilus, which means friend of God, might have an orderly account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And we know that most scholars tell us that, well, that the book of Mark was actually written before the book of Luke. In fact, you can find a third of uh, Luke has Mark in it. So uh, Mark, Luke was clearly using Mark as a, as a guideline to tell his orderly account. But Luke is much larger than Mark, 
Uh, you know, Mark is 16 chapters, Luke is 23 chapters. There are many parables, like the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the prodigal son that Luke wants to make sure we hear and we know. But Luke didn't hear these, these stories firsthand. No, he got it secondhand, which in some ways actually validates his books and gives even greater strength to it because, well, if I were to tell you a story, I would tell you from my own limited personal perspective. But if we were to investigate this story and you hear dozens of people telling you the same story, then you know that what is being said is ultimately true. And so Luke writes this, this account, this orderly account. He tells Theophilus, I've, I've spoken to eyewitnesses. You know, I, I've got the, the gospel of Mark. I've done all my research. And let me give you the, the full account of, of Jesus' life and his teachings so you can be sure of what it is you believe. And of course, this Christmas season, we need to be sure of what it is we believe, don't we? I know everyone believes that Jesus was born in the first century. That's not really up for debate. Everyone will admit that. Muslims and Buddhists all alike will admit that Jesus was was born in the first century. But it's a minority view that believes that Jesus is God incarnate, fully God and fully man. It's a minority view that believes that Jesus was actually born of a virgin, as we read in our text in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, who's ever heard of a virgin birth, right? Which reminds me of the story. There was this mom who brought her daughter uh, into the doctor to see the doctor because her daughter had been ill. And she comes to the Dr. Jones and, and she says, uh, Dr. Jones says, well, what's the problem? He says, well, it's my daughter, Darla. She's been having these morning sickness and she's been having these weird food cravings. I'm not sure what's wrong with her. And so the Dr. Jones looks over Darla and he, after about 10 minutes, he says, well, I, I hate to break it to you, but your daughter, Darla, is pregnant. No, I'm so this is not possible. I mean, she's never been alone with a boy, right, Darla? You've never been alone with a boy? And Darla says, no, I, I've never even kissed a boy. And so the, the woman says, there's no way she can be pregnant. That's not possible. The doctor walks over to the window. He opens the blinds, begins to stare over to the east. And the mother says, well, what are you doing? Don't you know my daughter here? And she goes, well, you know, the last time this sort of thing happened, three wise men came from the east bearing gifts, and I don't want to miss it. <laughs> a virgin birth. Who's ever heard of such a thing, right? I mean, no mother could think that her child would have a virgin birth. How can we be so sure of this virgin birth? How can we be so sure of, of the Christmas story? Well, to know how we can be certain of the truth of the Christmas story, let's keep reading. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For, for I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wonder, wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do not be afraid, the angel says. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What great news for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're going to have a baby. It's going to be a baby boy named John. How exciting. I mean, they've been praying for years that they might have a son. And, and well, like Sarah and Abraham in the Old Testament, they were well beyond the childbearing years. And so there seemed to be no hope that they would have this child. And yet, through fervent prayer, they've been praying. And, and now God has answered their prayer. You know, barrenness in the first century for a woman was often viewed as a curse from God, as if you had sinned in some way, and that's why God was not allowing you to have a child. But, but Luke makes it very clear that, well, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, well, they're righteous people. They're, they're blameless. This is the only time the Greek word for blameless is used in both Luke and Acts. Zechariah and Elizabeth are unique. They're special. For they're from the tribe, both of them, both, both of them are, are from the descendants of the tribe of Levi, the, the priestly tribe. They were raised on the Old Testament law, and Zechariah was raised to be a priest. He had spent his whole life worshiping God, ministering among the people of God as a priest, as an expert in the law. And they'd spent years praying, crying out to God. And now an angel has appeared and says, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. John means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. God has graciously blessed them with the child, a, a miraculous child in their later years. Yes, their barrenness was not a result of sin. No, it was simply a result of God's design and his desire to do a great work in their lives, to prepare them for this great prophetic son that they're going to have named John, John the Baptist. It's going to be amazing. Of course, the irony of the story is that when Zechariah is told this by the angel Gabriel, the, the great messenger of God, he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. Even though Zechariah is a priest who has spent his lifetime in, uh, worshiping and leading the people in worship and, and has had this great moment in the temple in front of the angel Gabriel, when he gets the good news that his prayers have finally been answered, Zechariah doesn't believe. 
He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He doesn't believe. Zechariah doesn't have the faith to see that God can still do miracles. Elizabeth and Zechariah have spent years praying. They're, they're from the priestly tribe and yet when their prayers are answered by the angel, the Zechariah doesn't believe. Why doesn't Zechariah believe what the angel is telling him? Why is he so hesitant to believe in the miraculous power and word of God? After all, God said through the prophet Malachi, the last words that the people of Israel had ever heard from a prophet, that he he would send the prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. John the Baptist is that prophet who comes in the spirit of Elijah. This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But Zechariah doesn't believe it. Why is Zechariah so hesitant to believe in the power and the word of God? Why are we so often hesitant to believe in the power and the the word of God? Why are we often filled with doubt rather than faith? You know, this past Thursday was Thanksgiving. I imagine many of us gathered around a table and we gave thanks to God for all the many blessings of our lives and and we, we just had a great celebration. And if you're like me, the very next day, you're up putting Christmas lights and trees up, you know, because that's what we do. We're Americans. We move from one holiday to the next very quickly. We don't waste time lingering on Thanksgiving. No, it's time for Christmas. And, and of course, if you watch the Macy's Day Parade, right, like the very last float is Santa Claus, a reminder that we've got to go shopping, right? You've got to go shopping because you've got all these things to do and we've got all these gifts to, to buy. And are, are we ready for Christmas? I don't mean are, you, are we ready, have we bought all the gifts that we need to get? I mean, are, are our hearts ready? Are we ready to encounter the, the miraculous Christ child this Christmas? To experience Christ's presence afresh and anew this Advent season? Of course, our text in Malachi and now in Luke reminds us that before we're ready to encounter Jesus, we first, we first need to hear from Elijah, specifically John the Baptist. Now, why does Elijah, the prophet, need to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Why does God make that the requirement before the day of the Lord, before the Messiah comes? What role does Elijah play in our lives today? Do you remember what Elijah did when he was here on this earth? Remember what he used to say? We have it in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. He, he challenges the people of Israel to stop their idolatry. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Elijah calls the people of Israel to repent from their sin of idolatry, from from worshiping false gods. We don't worship Baal today, but we certainly have materialism and consumerism that can easily turn our hearts away from God. What's this season about? Is it about what we're going to get, or is it about what we've already been given in Jesus Christ? Yes, before we're ready to receive Jesus, we need John the Baptist and the spirit of Elijah to call us to repentance, to remind us of our need for this Christ child, to remind us of our sin and our need for Jesus. Yes, God sent John the Baptist to prepare us by humbling us so that we might turn away from our sins and turn our hearts to God with a humble, childlike faith. Notice in our text, in verse 16 of our text, we read, that John the Baptist, he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
Now, verse 17 is certainly a reference to Malachi uh, chapter 4, verse 6, which Scott read just a moment ago and says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, when Gabriel says what John the Baptist is going to do, he fails to say that the children's hearts are going to be turned to their fathers. He just says that the father's hearts are going to be turned to the children. Why doesn't he complete what Malachi says? Why doesn't he complete the quote that we find in Malachi 4, verse 6? I mean, isn't the fourth commandment, the ten commandments, to honor your mother and father? Shouldn't the children's hearts be turned toward their fathers? Not just the father's hearts turned towards their children? Why does Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, say that John will turn, simply turn the father's hearts to the children and not vice versa? Well, if you look again at closely at our text, we'll see that in verse 17, there's a parallel. I've underlined it there. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. In verse 17, fathers is parallel to disobedient and children are parallel with the wisdom of the just. In this announcement to Zechariah, Gabriel emphasizes that the heart of the fathers need to be turned to their children because the hearts of the fathers have swayed from God. Over this 400 years of silence, the, the fathers, the older generation, have quit believing. Quit ha- they've quit having hope. Even Zechariah, who's blameless, who's a righteous man, who's been raised as a, as a priest his whole life, who's, who's married a wife, Elizabeth, who's from the priestly tribe, even blameless Zechariah and Elizabeth are slow to believe, slow to have faith and hope in what God's word has to say. Yes, the hearts of the fathers need to be turned towards their children. And it's interesting to note that throughout the book of Luke, we will see how Jesus ultimately fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecies, just as John the Baptist fulfills the words of Malachi, highlighting the fact that God can be taken at his word, that he will do what he says he's going to do, that God fulfills his promises. Luke's gospel is like a puzzle that fits with the Old Testament. It helps us see how John the Baptist and Jesus help complete the picture that God has been painting since Genesis of his grand plan of salvation. is to experience the miracle of Christmas. We as the adults, we need to take God at his word and, and humbly turn our hearts to God like children so that we might have a childlike faith that still sits in the wonder of the Christmas story, that God would become one of us. After all, Jesus tells his disciples in the gospel, Luke chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, when his disciples, people are trying to bring babies and infants to Jesus to be blessed by them, we read this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that we might, that he, Jesus, might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. John the Baptist and the spirit of Elijah must come before us, must come before Jesus so that we will humbly repent of our sin. He will remind us of our sin, our need for repentance so that we might come to God humble like children with an open heart needing to receive God's grace and love. One of the things I love about our church is we've made a commitment to be an intergenerational church, which means the older generation is constantly investing in the next generation pouring into them, seeing the need to to bless them and to help raise them in the faith. Every time we baptize an infant, we make a commitment as a congregation that we're going to help raise this child in the faith so that one day this child, led by the Holy Spirit with their own lips, will say that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And so Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. 
And, and Gabriel the prophet says that John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to turn the father's hearts to their children so that the fathers will see their need for repentance and the need to become like a child coming to God with open arms, a true faith, an open faith, seeking to believe and knowing that God can fulfill his word. The other day, I was pulling out some laundry out of my uh, dryer in our house, and I was putting it in the basket, and my little son, John, who's six years old, comes up to me. He says, Daddy, Daddy, I know how to spell joy. I said, great, John, spell joy for me. He goes, J-O-Y. I said, that's right, John, that's how you spell joy. Hey, John, do you have joy? He says, I'm full of joy. (laughs) I said, great, John, how are you so full of joy? He says, I got God in my heart, and he brings me all the joy I need. Jesus says, out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. He says that on Palm Sunday when people are, when the children are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, tell the children to stop saying that. Jesus says, no, out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. As adults in the midst of this busy holiday season, it can be easy for us to focus on the rush of what we need to do and where we need to go and the things that we need to get rather than focused on who is with us. God is with us. In Jesus Christ, God has made it very clear that he is with us and he is for us. And in this miraculous baby boy named Jesus, we can see that God is with us and for us. And so with a childlike faith, we need to humble ourselves and focus on Christ's presence this Christmas season so we might experience the joy of Christmas afresh and new. A Christmas that ultimately points to Easter. But John the Baptist has to come before Jesus so that we might be reminded of our sin and our need for this Christ child, for this perfect child, for this perfect man of God, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who was without sin. He came to this earth and he he paid the price for our sins as the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the gift of eternal life so that we might have a new life if we simply believe in him. With the faith like a child who is ready and willing to follow and to hear God's word, knowing that God will fulfill his promises that he makes to us today. Yes, this Advent season, may we all humbly see our need for Jesus by confessing our sins to God. And then with a childlike faith, may we humbly pray that our hearts might be reawakened to the wonder and the power and the mystery of Christmas, that God became one of us in this little baby boy. And he wants to be with us, and he's for us, and he'll guide us and lead us if we will humbly follow him. Please join me as you pray. God, we thank you so much for John the Baptist. We thank you for this miraculous birth that even though Elizabeth and Zechariah were old and beyond the childbearing years, Lord, you did a miraculous thing. You, you fulfilled your promise that you made through the words of Malachi that Elijah had to come before the day of the Lord. And so in John the Baptist, Elijah has come. And he's spoken a word to us, a, a word to repent, to turn from our sins and to turn towards you. So God, may we like children humble ourselves this Advent season, turning towards you, the Christ child, in all humility. With childlike faith, may we be open and receptive to your presence in our lives. And may we be constantly attuned to the fact that you're with us and for us. And that you'll lead us if we will humbly follow you. Oh God, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your son's name we pray in all God's people's sin.
Amen. Speaking of Christ's presence, one of the great opportunities we have as a church is to be Christ's presence in other communities. And we had a team go to Tulsa, Oklahoma recently, and Gary Argo is here to share with us about their work together.